podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. Well, we're back, Gareth. Yeah, that was. Uh, I tell you, what, that was that was a very fun chat. I feel ready for the season now. It was thorough. We we covered we covered a lot of ground. We did the, the who we think is going to stay up and who we think are going down. Yeah, I, I, you know, no no spoilers till you get into it. I will say though, you did mention one team at the very end as a relegation candidate. I completely forgot about, so feel bad about that one. But you know. There's always a couple in there, isn't there? Sneak, sneak in and sneak out. Um, we we have a little chat about the the bad boys of the international weekend, or or the young boys, uh, should I say, Foden and Greenwood? Oh yeah, you know, the solid boys will be boys action, and yeah, it was uh, lovely to have one of my favourite people on there as well, and Dan Trelfer, one of the uh, the best guests you can get on the whistleblowers. Oh, without a doubt, uh, and and yeah, and Dan talks about his new book that's coming out, so we come on to that. So enjoy it. Cheers. Okay, welcome back to the Whistleblowers. It doesn't feel like that long since we've we've last said hello because obviously the everything in 2020 seems completely cocked up. But I'm delighted to say that uh, regular Gareth Dobson's back. Gareth, great to have you. Yes, it's it, it's been a minute, but literally only a minute. It's a blink of an eye, but yet the longest blink ever as well, isn't it? It seems like the world's just in in free fall. And and what a perfect time to introduce for the start of the new season. Uh, are, well, a, a regular in the Whistleblowers way before my time, uh, Mr. Dan Trelfer. Dan, great to have uh, you. Hello, thank you very much. We've timed this pretty well, haven't we, Dan? Because uh, you're pretty busy at the moment with things, which we'll come on to later. Yeah. New book. Yeah, new yeah, book yeah. Out. Exactly. Yeah, another book, which is very exciting. Yeah, that's brilliant. Well, yeah. let's well let's touch on that later on because that is that's a that's a good one to talk about, particularly with everything that's been going on. Um, Gareth, what have you been enjoying in this in this brief downtime of non-football? Have you been enjoying anything in particular? I have. I have to. I, I started watching a lot of the NBA playoffs, which has has been great fun. Um, there's been a perfect month of American sports. I've been enjoying in the window between the end of the Premier League and the start of the Premier League. So that's been good. And other than that, just sort of. You know, just dipped into some uh, Amazon sports documentaries about certain football teams. So, you know, getting all primed for the year now. Yeah, we covered some of the we covered some of the uh, more historical documentaries, didn't we, with uh, John Bruin, who I'm sure will be back on with us soon. Well, that was quite interesting. But yeah, these ones are are far more topical. Dan, have you have you seen any of those? Uh, yeah, be, well, being a, a young father, I suppose yeah, a TV time with football documentaries is a bit too self indulgent. I would I would expect for the home. It's tricky, actually, yeah, because um, my wife's not into football, so uh, sort of evenings, we try and watch stuff together, you know. But we did, I mean, it's it's a bit old now, uh, but we did watch the Sunderland doc because uh, because our our very good friend was the um, cinematographer for it, or the the, the director of photography. Oh, lovely. uh, He was out there travelling around the country filming all all the fans and... They almost attacked him once at Bristol when things were going really badly and he kind of got caught in the crossfire of their anger. Uh, so, yeah, but yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. 
Yeah, no, that was a cracker, wasn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, we should clarify to the listeners who don't know you that you you do work in telly as mm. uh, as another another string to your bow. Um, yeah. Listen, gents, well, well, I, w- I won't um, uh, would dwell on the break too much because we've got plenty to get through. Uh, first being, uh, boys will be boys with the England team again. I just want to cover it briefly and get your thoughts on maybe how let's let's look at the freshest thing the mind how Southgate's dealt with it um, Gareth what, what were your initial thoughts and perhaps how it's played out I was um not surprised obviously he immediately removed them from the squad I, I think after the, the Harry Maguire situation he probably felt quite under pressure to be seen to be reacting quite strongly and quite quickly because you know there was a a moment's hesitation with Maguire. He obviously stayed in the squad after the the situation with his holiday, um, and I think you know the the press wasn't great. It didn't look good for for Southgate. So he he's had no option. I think he's tried to temper the, the you know the, the standard media outrage by you know pointing out that they are young. And uh, even though that doesn't excuse them, you know, you have to understand that this is a, a strange time and young giddy players can make uh, make bad decisions. But, you know, you could definitely do about it because obviously Foden um, and Greenwood, uh, there's a lot expected of them. There's probably people who, who are wondering whether they might end up figuring as, as key contributors if, uh, if there's a European Championship uh, this time next year. Well, that's, that's very true. Dan... Um, Probably watching it uh, through kind of, but I, I suppose older eyes with, well, I look at this situation and you kind of feel a little bit sorry for the guys that they live in the modern era of social media and, and particularly in that bubble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, but then they've grown up with that pretty much. And you would think they would be, you know, they would know that it was a, a really bad idea. And obviously, if it hadn't been during a corona, uh, you know, I don't think, you know, it w- would have probably been okay. They probably still would have made the papers, but they weren't doing anything illegal. It's a bit, I was a, I was a bit annoyed about it because I just think you two have got in the squad now for the first time. You would think you'd be on your best behaviour and you'd be listening and you'd go, you know, the bubble is really important and uh, something to stick to, you know, and it's, it's not for too long. I mean, uh, yeah, I I thought Southgate did absolutely the right thing. I was just a bit disappointed in those two because I, I just thought that maybe young English players were starting to be a little bit a little bit smarter than perhaps they have been in the past. Do you think uh, Southgate always gives me the impression of someone that his disappointment would be somehow more uh, insult well harder to bear than his his anger so yeah, be, you know just his disapproval <laughs> like, a, because... like a dad who's just really yeah I'm not angry with you I'm just disappointed in yeah. you and you, yeah you really feel like you've let him down it's, yeah. it's also... he gives these young players a chance and he's given them a chance you know early it's it's you know it's mad isn't it I, I just it's it's a shame that they did that but yeah. I have to say that having a having this this drama. Uh, saves us from uh, three days of analysis of a, a dreadful game that wasn't even worth uh, analysing. So, yeah, maybe maybe it saves us all from having to read columns on columns as to why we can't break down a team in a pre-season friendly, essentially. Oh, very yeah. true. Very true. I think uh, from... From a player's point of view, I remember, like, I mean, I know you said you didn't do anything illegal, Dan, but, um, God, I mean, you would just get 
you get the book thrown at you, but internally, if you if you're caught doing something like that, and that's even it, I've heard of things where we've gone and stayed overnight, and you hear of things maybe if it's New Year's Eve or someone's wandered out the room and had a beer, or do you know what I mean? But to do something like that, it's just it, it at that level, it just feels it feels like it's a little bit too far. So I think I think uh, Southgate Swift Action and um, yeah. It really helped, and I think the situation also it lends itself to him to be a bit more severe, doesn't it? Because he can instantly make that call. I think you're totally right. He would have had a much difficult, more, much more difficult decision to make had it not been during COVID. Yeah, yeah, it would have been interesting. To, I mean, I, I, I sort of feel like he might have done the same because he's, you know, he when Raheem Sterling had the fight, he he, he immediately got him out of the squad. He's he's very tough on discipline, isn't he? And he's I think he's a he's probably a great manager to play for, and he likes working with young players. Um, but yeah. uh, but if but but when this happens, he cracks he cracks down hard and he cracks down quickly. I think you know there's there's no mixed messages, is there, from him? Well, unless you're called Harry Maguire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he made a he made he can argue he almost made a, made a rod for his back with the the Sterling situation. Because you know, I you know, I agree. He did the right thing. He disciplined him. He essentially dropped him for a game. But then the moment that you are not even with your punishments, if you're not consistent, that's yeah. where you know, you get you come under fire. So maybe it was even more important for it to be seen as very swift uh, determination by by Southgate as to as to what to do with Foden and Greenwood. But you know, it's yeah, like you said though, it is disappointing because these players are. I think portrayed as very savvy, very smart, you know, a, a slightly more responsible young generation. And it turns out that, you know, maybe footballers are just footballers. Yeah. Well, that's a very, yeah, no, that's a, a, I was just about to say how consistent he was, but you're absolutely right. The Maguire, <clears throat> the Maguire situation kind of pr- disproved that a little bit. Let's move on to something a little bit more happy. I'll just bring this up briefly because, um, Again, all these awards that seem to be happening during lockdown, um, it, it just feels weird, doesn't it, without crowds? I'm, I'm Gareth, I'm sure you've seen it in the music industry, and Dan, I'm sure you probably noticed it with the BAFTAs, uh, the, the mm. kind of, the slightly, it's just a bit of a weird, uh, it just sits bizarrely, doesn't it, without without a crowd there. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen the PFA Player of the Year awards, because I was hoping to catch you on the hop so I could get your guesses. Uh, no, I haven't seen them. Did you not? It literally just got announced, I think, tonight. Yeah. Gareth, um, uh, who who would have been your tip for uh, Player of the Year PFA? I mean, I'm assuming that it is De Bruyne. I mean, for me, he was he was a very clear candidate. I mean, obviously, there you know, there's a few who are, who've been exceptional. Um, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold, I think, got nominated in both the senior and the the young players. But yeah, KDB for me, without a doubt. The strangest thing is obviously. You know, is having these uh, awards on the eve of the the next season. Yeah, well, yeah. Absolutely. When I saw it, when I saw they were happening, it was uh, I was really confused. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I suddenly some, was wondering what time of year it was, and yeah, very odd. I mean, my I, I probably agree with Gareth uh, the well, De Bruyne, and um, yeah, and Trent. Uh, and then uh, Henderson for Liverpool as well. well you're you're both, an, both annoyingly accurate uh, there, but nothing uh, nothing less than I would expect. De Bruyne uh, beating Virgil van Dijk, Alexander-Arnold, Sadio Mane, Henderson and Raheem Sterling uh, to the award voted by his fellow players. Um, 
the first City player to win the award since its inception in 1973-74. That's mad, know. isn't it? I thought someone would have been... I can't, Aguero. Aguero gets overlooked for everything, doesn't he, that boy? I think with Aguero, he's had this long run of not even making the the PFA team of the year. Um, he's forever, forever slighted. And I, I don't know why, you know, there's probably a long conversation about you know, a traditional striker or finisher in his role in the modern game and whether, or maybe whether it's when you're in a team with so many amazing contributors that sometimes really good players just get overlooked. But it is astonishing. He's the highest scoring international player in the Premier League now and still, uh, still, still no love. Well, as, as I remember from uh, my time voting for it, most of it's done by players just before training on a bench somewhere. Just you know, like you've got five minutes to do it, and the managers usually get annoyed at people wasting their time doing anything. And then it's usually done around February time, so that's probably timing is everything with this award. And it doesn't matter how well you do after February because it's you know retrospectively nothing gets rewarded. So um, you think you're absolutely right, Gareth De Bruyne was absolutely pumping on all cylinders then. Um, and then Trent Alexander Arnold winning the the young player fully deserved, and uh, uh, Liverpool probably architects of their own downfall by having a, a brilliant season across the board in their team. It's hard to pick. It's hard to pinpoint individuals in that side, isn't it, Dan? It is. I mean, that's that's what I, you know. Your sort of your immediate thought is, well, it's got to be a Liverpool player. But then you sort of think, well, Salah, you know, had a, re- a great season, but it wasn't like the season he had a couple of years ago. Um, same with Mane, was 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 really good all season. They were all kind of really good, and as you say, there wasn't anyone that was outstanding. But that sort of speaks to how Klopp's built that team, I think, because they are so much of a team. You know. It's, it's a team full of full of stars, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and, no. uh, yeah. No, nailed it. I, listen, James, I think this is a perfect time to take a quick break. Uh, we'll come back because I want to have a look at the, this weekend's games. More importantly, how you think the teams are going to do throughout the season. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Okay, welcome back. Uh, where do we where do we uh, where do we stop off there, Gareth? I think we were talking about what's going to happen this season with the teams. Let's let's start and have a uh, have a look at some of the games this weekend. I know we've got Liverpool Leeds to kick us off mm. uh, with with some with many lead supporters that sit within our friendship groups and and various other things. How how do you see? Well, I, let's let's talk about both teams and, and kind of what an opener for them. I think uh, so. It, it is brilliant. I'm genuinely excited for this game, and I would love for. Uh, Leads to make a you know a good show of it. What you don't want is for them to be three 0 down after twenty five minutes. Which you know that's not a comment on Leeds. That's obviously how good Liverpool can be when they're 
when they're really going for it. So, but there, there is that kind of sense of old glory about you know Leeds, Liverpool. Just having Leeds back in the Premier League in general is is great. It feels that I can't remember a newly promoted club who've had so much expectation and excitement around them. Um, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. And and would, also with the quality, with the right qualities that you probably want from a team coming up, apart from maybe uh, the slightly volatile relationship with the fan groups and, and other teams in the league. Mm. No, it's, <laughs> that, that's almost the best. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a shame that, you know, we haven't got a couple more uh, of the teams that they absolutely loathe in there. Getting Cardiff back in would have been great if you, were, uh, if you loved the, the Leeds rivalries. But, you know, Manchester United will be a good start, I think. That's going to be a heck of a game the first time they play each other. And but yeah, a lot of it's going to be you know the magic of of Bielsa, a manager who everyone seems to know every detail of, but probably not that many people have seen his teams play that much. No, that's very true, Dan. I'm going to lean on your uh, championship expertise here. Perhaps yeah. having seen Leeds more than any of us, maybe, or certainly been been aware of. Like their strengths and weaknesses, and um, being a QPR fan, uh, what do you what do you make of uh, the, their their chances for the season, and obviously the the opener that they've got, been given? It's really diff. I it's I don't know. It's really difficult to tell. That just but you. Ju- I just think Bielsa is the key for them. I mean, a lot of players. It's it's you know a lot of teams rather. It's which player has got to step forward to make sure they do well. But with with Leeds, they are so reliant on the manager for sure because. He's incredible, I think. And he's done finally what no one else could do for Leeds for, for a very long time. They're watching them. I mean, weirdly, they're one, they're one team that QPR's kind of quite enjoyed playing. We've beaten them at home the last two seasons, I think both times when they were on pretty good runs. Um, first one, we were, we were pretty lucky to win. Um, by pretty, I mean very. Second, this one, <laughs> uh, this, this season just gone. Um, we played really well. We, we beat them one 0 again. Um, they, they're kind of a team that suited us because they're not a team of bullies. We, we, we keep all get bullied a bit. Leeds were a kind of a similar side in that they play very nice football. It's a, it's a, a lot on the ground. They work really hard. That's a, that is one of the biggest keys to them. I think they work incredibly hard and they press high. Um, they try to get on the ball as, as high up the pitch as they can. Uh, but they're not a particularly strong team. And I don't know whether that that might be fine in the Premier League because they play good football and they, they kind of play in a similar style maybe to how Liverpool play. Um, but it's going to be it's been really fascinating to see because he's such a you know enigma, uh, Bielsa, and his tactics are so interesting. Um, I can't see him going down, that's for sure. Uh, and it's going to be great to see. I, I, as Gareth said, that that first game against Liverpool is going to be fascinating. It's a shame it's not in front of fans. Yeah, not quite full-blooded. But yeah, Gareth, an interesting point there. We talk about that Bielsa being so important, but the also the key being the, the, the right appointment by Leeds, finally. And I know that he's been there a while now, but at the same time, you know, you look at Liverpool, it's exactly what they did. They, waited, they got the right man and the difference that it made to the team. I'm going to bring you on to being a Spurs fan. <laughs> How does that sit with your hopes for the season? Obviously, you know, I, I'm sure you studied the documentary in great detail. Or, or what of it? What, what was legitimate documentary and the rest of it quite 
uh, carefully edited. But um, but in terms of how do you feel? Can there be positives for for Tottenham this season in terms of you know the style of play rather than just results? I so horrifyingly, I, I've been very sceptical of the whole appointment. I think I've, I've said that a lot on here, but I found myself watching the documentary and buying, drinking the Kool Aid, buying the uh, buying the pitch. Um, <laughs> and you know, there is, if you want to point to anything, it's Mourinho's record of success in second seasons with clubs. He he does kick on, um, but you know, a lot of that's usually down to bedding in certain ideals and principles over a couple of pre-seasons and season. He's still not had that. You know, this is not a regular pre-season. It's very short. The players are going to be tied. You know, Harry Kane um, barely made it 45 minutes against Iceland before looking like he was completely out of sorts. Um, so it's, we will see. I, I like the signings they've made. Um, they're quite pragmatic, but they've really, they should improve the team. Having Hoiberg in there, uh, Spurs have lacked a dedicated you know, patrolling the builder. We've had a lot of sort of box-to-box CMs and, you know, none who are maybe specialists at, at shielding, a, you know, the defence. So, Hoiberg could be good at that. And, and you know, um, bringing in Doherty as a fullback should be an upgrade on Aurier just because as well as being a good attacker, he might be a little bit more consistent tactically. Um, so, I do think that, you know, again, it's the same old situation. There are four teams... Yeah, there are four Champions League places. There are six teams likely to be pushing for those. And I think, you know, most people would expect Spurs to be one of the two odd men out in in that situation. I, I think, you know, the most fascinating, you know, new built team is is Chelsea. You know, it's very it's got very starry again. It almost reminds me of um you know, when uh, Ranieri came in for the second season and Abramovich came in and they bought you know, half a new team or more, you know, when Joe Cole and Sebastian Veron signed on the same day, <laughs> the tens. And, you know, they, they've done, you know, similar things with, uh, you know, Havertz and, and, and Ziyech and, you know, adding, adding left-backs and centre-backs, you know, they're, they're probably have got the most, uh, almost the most to lose, I think. I, I think Lampard's going to be expected to, to challenge this year. Yeah, they're an exciting team. I, I, I spoke highly of them last Last year, just because I liked I, I liked the way the way they went about it, maybe didn't finish as strongly as as, as perhaps you would suspect. But um, but Dan, I know we won't get much love for them out of years as a QPR fan. <laughs> uh, let's talk about business then. New players coming in, I w- certainly wouldn't expect it of you. Um, bits of business. There was a nice bit of business today. I was just today. winding up there. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I will first of all take I'll take your thoughts on Chelsea, uh, but also uh, interesting signing for Everton today. We're having Rodriguez joining from uh, Real Madrid. Has has the tide turned for the other men in blue this season? I mean, that is a really fascinating signing because you know when we I, I don't know, when when we think of Hamas, you just think of the the 2014 World Cup, don't you? And the, his incredible goal, and that sort of got him the move to Real in the first place. And it feels like for Everton, that feels like, I mean, I mean, it felt a bit like when when Koeman was in charge and they spent a lot of money that summer, that felt like a bit of a watershed moment, but it, it didn't really happen. But this time they've got Carlo Ancelotti, who doesn't really fail anywhere. And you think it's serious this time. Um, he could be a fantastic signing. I'm really excited to see him play. And I think... Ancelotti's a superb manager. So, you, 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 I mean, as Gareth says, they're not one of those 
in the top six champion uh, looking for Champions League. But if not this season, then certainly they're going to be doing that next season. You can't spend that sort of money that they're doing and buying the sort of players they've got and have the man- sort of manager they've got and not be trying to get into the Champions League or, you know, being happy with the... Uh, um, the other one that I can yeah. remember. Yeah, UEFA, yeah, UEFA, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Europa, sorry. Uh, yeah, Europa, yes. I, I have a counterpoint to that. Yeah. I think it's going to be a disaster. Well, it could be. <laughs> I think you're right. I mean, it could very, it could very well be. So do the, you think Hammers Rodriguez, do you think, or Everton generally? Uh, the Hammers, the Hammers. The so I think, you know, the, the two big signings potentially are having Alan um, from Napoli and... Uh, uh, bringing in uh, Ducore, and I, I think that's a really great sort of pair at the base of midfield. You know, their midfield has been identified as as a big issue, and they've they've made some big moves. But the the Hammers thing I, I find quite strange. He he seems a very un Premier League player, and I hate saying yeah, yeah. That because you know it falls into the stereotype of the blood and thunder. But um, you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson came in and was expected to you know really move Everton on, be the sort of key cog. And it's just not worked. And, you know, obviously, I think... Well, it was £50 million, pounds, wasn't it? It was absolutely crazy. Um, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I felt sorry for him because they got him, didn't they? And then they got Rooney almost straight away and sort of go, well, he's going to play where you're supposed to play. But there, there's, you know, a lot of similarities between Sigurdsson and, and, and Rodriguez. And if they've not managed to make that, you know, number 10 position work... With Sigurdsson, I, I I'm not sure that <clears throat> even if Rodriguez is you know 20 percent better, he he's going to be going to be the the player they need. I, I think um, yeah, it'll be very interesting. I I'm not I'm not uh, dismissing Everton at all. I, I think you know they've got a chance to be one of the teams really pushing against the top six, and I'd love to see uh, Calvert Lewin uh, kick on as well. I think he had a quietly a very good season last year. Um, and you know, it'd be nice to see him progress again because I think he could force his way into an England conversation again. Yeah, you know, he's he's a young, a young good player, and um, and also just changing up. You know, having the same six teams, you know, pushing the top spots every year is obviously incredibly boring for a lot of uh, neutral fans. Well, let's look at the. That, that's a perfect point to bring in the. The, the rest of the Premier League, which the more unfashionable teams that we don't talk about, but are superbly run, efficient teams that have the ability to produce upsets, but also give very little away. So, you know, we've got Burnley, Sheffield United, Wolves. We've not spoken about Leicester. I think West Brom are a really strong team, difficult to beat. You know, you've got, you've got that, that middle of the league, which is going to be extremely tight. And that's where Everton have perhaps struggled to really assert themselves. Uh, I'll, I'll angle. Sorry, I'll add that sorry. to Gareth. Gareth, we'll go go with you on that one. Because how do you? Well, let's 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 cut into this because it makes perfect sense to do this now. Let's go top four, top bottom because that will work out who the rest is in the league. What? Give us your. Let's start with the bottom four because I'm I'm intrigued to see who do you think will be, who do you think will be down there coming in the, the season. Um, two of the promoted clubs, and then I think it might be West Ham's time. Well, you know how I feel about that. Considering I'm, I'm just well. Let's let's let's. Have you got any particular order? I mean, give me the give me the other two. You got. I'm going with Fulham as <laughs> being one of them. Yeah, I, I think Fulham. Um, God bless Scott Parker, uh, a fantastic human being, and he he did brilliant work getting them up. But it just feels like that team's not 
still not ready. Um, there's yeah. a lot of experience, and you know, even the experienced players maybe aren't quite of that quality. You have players like Mitrovic, who you know he's spent a year, you know, leading line for uh, Fulham in the Premier League with very mixed mixed results. And you know, with West Brom, I, I think the issue with them is that. Uh, they're a, like a light version of Burnley. You know, they're very, as you said, very sort of stoic and and doughty. But you know, they don't have the same quality as as someone like Burnley. And ultimately, it always seems to catch up with them. And you know, they'll probably be boing boing baggies for for one more year. <laughs> I, I, I know that 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 that's miserable to immediately cast two of the teams back down. But I, I think that that's the reality of it. And, and the best tech, the best tactics almost do know is to come up. You take your purse. And then you spend that eighty million or whatever it is reinvesting to a you know a, a more sustained uh, high end club in a championship who can come back up the next time and compete and really lay a foundation. That seems to be the new way of approaching it. Your, your first goes almost a free roll of the dice. Yeah, well, no, I think that's very well put. Um, Dan, you got any further thoughts on that? Have you had a little look at who you think might go down out of the the lads we've got? Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I agree with you. I think. Fulham, I'd be surprised if they stayed up. Um, probably a bit fortunate to, to get promoted in the first place, I think. Um, but, yeah, I think they're going to go. Uh, I think West Brom will struggle. But it'd be interesting to see how, how Billich does um, with them. You know, they, you know, there was there was a sort of a question of whether he'd be able to hack it in the championship, but he did a really good job. And they sort of started yeah. towards the end, but got over the line. That That'll be interesting. And then it is tricky after that. I'd, I'd sort of, you know, I'm sort of with Gareth. I can't see West Ham, you know, nothing great seems to have happened in the transfer market. So you think, well, I'm not really sure how they're going to be any better than last year. So so it can't, is it going to be anything other than a struggle? Southampton, maybe. Um, their boss looks pretty good and they, you know, they finished, they finished pretty safe in the end last season, didn't they? So, yeah. What's interesting to me is that I think it's maybe a stronger Premier League, uh, you know, across the board than it has been for quite a long time. I, you know, looking at those sort of 14 clubs, you can make a good argument for any of them to have a top 10 season almost. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, you can also argue that, well, you know, Crystal Palace are a great example of that. Um, you know, they, they've made some good signings, obviously, you know, of which you're, you're well aware, Dan. Um, yeah, some young players and Hodgson. You know, it, it's incredibly hard to doubt his ability to, you know, to manage a club incredibly well. You know, of the, the the level of Crystal Palace, and but then the counter argument is, you know, they are an aging team still. You know, go ask them to do it season after season with you know, potentially diminishing returns is hard. So, you know, there's it's one of those that. I think you know after eight ten games, yeah, I think fans of all clubs will feel reasonably positive. Even someone like Newcastle, who a year ago, you know, everyone had just written off, you know, suddenly they look like a a solid club. And I I like the players that they brought in. They're very, you know, pragmatic but not not depressing. You know, players like Callum Wilson, I think, is a really really good signing. Uh, uh, Fraser also from. Bournemouth again is a very good signing. It's people seem to have uh, you know approached what their clubs need sort of realistically and tried to build rather than make James Rodriguez level signings. Yep, yep, no, excellent <laughs> point. I mean, you've let 
you know, you've let Villa off quite quietly there. Newcastle, yeah. Palace, you've got a slight mention. I think, Dan, you touched on Southampton. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's tough to call. I'd love to be sat here looking at what the reality of that will be. But um, but you're right, Gareth. It's, uh, across the board, it's been extremely, you know, I, th- I think that the league's been strengthened and I think some really pragmatic, uh, sensible signings. Uh, top four, um, perhaps a little bit more a little bit easier to pick Dan we'll start with you this time did you fancy well yeah I mean you know the easy two is Liverpool and uh, Man City and then well Man United had a really good sort of post lockdown didn't they Um, so I I, I don't really know beyond that you know I'd expect Man United to be in there but Leicester are definitely in with a shout as well Um, Spurs I mean, I think Chelsea. Just going back to them, I think that they are probably the most interesting one out of that out of that group because there's a lot of chat about how they were, you know, going to work with what they've got and um, use the youngsters. And Frank's going to bring the youngsters through, and then the moment they're allowed to buy, they absolutely <laughs> caned it. Um, and Frank got a lot of leeway last season. You know, yes. if, if if you know he did, they, Chelsea did well. He did well. They had a decent season. But if things do not go well, uh, he does not. He will not get that leeway with those kind of buys that he's made and the amount of money he's spent. So I think there's real pressure on them, and there's real pressure on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Man United as well. But yeah, I think I would say if, if I had to say, I'd say Liverpool, City, United, and Chelsea. Gareth, um, I agree. I, it, it's very interesting that the two. Um, you know, the two, you, you mentioned there, Chelsea, you mentioned they maybe have the best equipped squads now, but also perhaps the least experienced managers or the managers which there are, you know, are the most question marks over. Um, you know, Spurs' manager is obviously the most experienced of those, but I think people feel that, you know, maybe this squad is still, you know, a nod to a few years ago and it still needs further updating. Um, the really interesting one, in terms of just the overall picture, I think is Arsenal. They've, you know, had a, a really good couple of months, starting with the the cup final victory, which I, I think can really count for something. I, in terms of the winning mentality of the club, I think Arteta is probably viewed as the brightest of uh, those three managers, him, Solskjaer, and and Lampard. And, and assuming that they keep uh, Aubameyang at least one more year, as it now looks, then that that's that's going to be a big thing. And and they've restocked. Finally, uh, defensively, they, they've brought in a couple of very promising uh, young young defenders. Um, and if it all gels, I can see them sort of quietly being one of the, one of the top four teams. I, I think this year will be the first time, you know, perhaps they finish above Spurs for a while and maybe sneaking into the top four. I, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that one of Chelsea and Manchester United is just going to go haywire. Um, with with Chelsea, there's so many players to acclimatise. That could be an issue. And I do think that with Manchester United, I get the sense that Solskjaer might be looking to change the style of play. Uh, you know, initially, they've been a sort of counter-attacking team. And I think now they're going to have to start forcing the issue a little bit. Um, and I wonder if that's going to play to Solskjaer's tactical strengths or not. That's... Well, that's some excellent analysis and and an impartial uh, opinion on Arsenal from you, which uh, which I'm, I'm sure that's the first and last for the season <laughs> out of the way already. I think it's 
it's, I think the reason is it's, it's very hard to dislike Arteta, isn't it? You can't, I find myself just really hoping he'll do really well. He just seems really nice and he's so handsome and just seems like a nice... <laughs> Just seems like a nice fit for Arsenal. It feels like they've sort of got the right person, and I'm 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 with I'm really excited to see what they do this season. I think you know, it, it was good for them winning the Community Shield, and um, I think it's been quite quite an exciting season for them. They could easily get in the top four for sure. Well, um, uh, exciting season all around for you, Dan. Because um, do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, what you've been working on uh, for the last eighteen months, at least? I would imagine. Yeah, so me and John Smith wrote a book um, two years ago now, which, which was uh, booked the Gospel According to Our Football Heroes, um, which was basically us reading 120 footballer autobiographies and then kind of distilling it down into the weirdest stuff that we found, which was quite a lot. And there was so much stuff that even before we finished, we knew there was a second book in it. So we uh, begged the publishers and they let us do another one. So that's coming out. In about two weeks, on 21st of September, it's called Second Yellow, The Further Adventures of Our Football Heroes. And, and uh, I met the choice anecdotes? Well, I've, I, I met up with uh, Gritz the other day and, um, and Mark Webster, obviously uh, whistleblowers, uh, listeners will know. And Mark texted, I gave him an advanced copy and Mark texted me the next day, immediately uh, loving a bit in the introduction, which is a story about Jim Smith uh former sort of um uh, Portsmouth and Derby manager and obviously uh Bald Eagle himself yeah he was at some dinner thing player of the year dinner deal or something and Roger de Corsi was there with Nookie Bear uh, which for younger for younger uh this was a was a ventriloquist that popular in the 70s and 80s and um and uh, Jim Smith just really took against the bear and was getting really more and more annoyed with him <laughs> as, as the night went on uh, until eventually he punched Nookie Bear in the face. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so there's there's loads of stories. You, you won't believe how many puppet stories we've been able to find over the years in these books. It's incredible. And, and there's a strong um, pigeon influence in this year's uh, book as well. Oh, nice. I think one of my favourites was... Uh, it's uh, Bobby Gould talking about going to football as a young man with his dad and saying that his dad would take in a pigeon, a racing pigeon, and put the score, it was like a homing pigeon, put the score, when someone scored, put it in and sent it back home to tell tell his granddad what the score was. <laughs> it's an astonishing story. How amazing. did you bring in? Um, <laughs> and, and surely, yeah, that's the very earliest form of teletext or yeah, exactly. uh, uh, SMS. Uh, and also, I think you've sneaked in one of my uh, puppet stories from from Torquay days, which is great. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, your your chairman at Port uh, Torquay had a yeah. was a dog called Algernon, wasn't it? It, it was a do- yeah, it was a doll. Yeah, ventriloquist dummy, quite 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 terrifying. One of the old ones. Um, but yeah, I, you'll have to read the book to, to obviously get more of that. Um, I'll, I'll I'll share a link in uh, the picture of the cover, Dan, because uh, yeah, we loved the first one, so I'm sure the second one will be no different. Yeah, available to pre-order, I believe, on Amazon. Perfect. Gareth, uh, uh, just last word from yourself. How how have things been? Is the music industry ramping back up? Have you been keeping yourself busy? Yeah, it's uh, everyone's sort of flying back into things. I, I think people have realised that live music isn't really on the cards in its traditional form for a while, so we're starting to find other means. I uh, One of the artists we manage, uh, Gold Panda, an electronic musician, just uh, performed at the BBC Proms on Friday. 
uh, with a piece Amazing. with uh, a legendary uh, sitar player called Anushka Shankar. So that is up on iPlayer for you to watch, and I genuinely recommend it. I am biased, but it's an incredible piece of music. And yeah, pulling out records and, and doing all kinds of things. So yeah, we're back in the middle of it all now. Lovely. Well, I'll be sharing the, the link to Dan's book to pre-order and we'll share the, the, the iPlayer link for um, for Gold Panda. I always love hearing about Panda um, in its natural habitat, uh, uh, the problems. Was that on Radio 3, Gareth? It was. It was on Radio 3 and, and, and BBC 4, so on all the fancy uh, BBC channels. Hi, bro. Love okay. it. All right, gents, listen, thanks very much for joining me. Hopefully I'll speak to you both again very soon, but that was The Whistleblowers. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. Sports Social Podcast Network.